The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the PFN Premier NFL Draft podcast. Now, obviously, it's free agency week. All right. We're draft guys. Why are we talking about this? Well, the answer is we love to talk and you're not going to stop us from talking about this stuff. So, Ali, we're getting into it. Free agency. uh, And, you know, for a serious answer. Free agency does have a major impact on draft strategy, what teams are going to do in the NFL draft. So, you you know, even if you're just a draft analyst, you do have to pay attention to what's going on this week to get a feel for what's going to happen in late April. So with that, I mean, before we get into the analysis, though, Ali, I got to ask you, how are you doing? Yeah, doing good, my man. Confused by the one hour time change that you guys over there in the States have uh... You've changed your clocks before we have. Yeah. It's completely throwing you it. out. It's completely thrown it. me out. Uh, but other than that, we're attacking free agency from a draft angle. I'm very excited. As you said, it's um, it, it's really important. Really has a, a big knock-on effect as to to what the what will happen in the draft. I know a lot of draft analysts don't even consider touching a mock draft until after the first waves of free agency. It's that yeah. um, has that ability to really change team needs potential landing spots obviously if any picks are traded um during this time we've seen you know we've seen some moves already um over the last few days which will will impact where certain teams will will pick and we talked about some of them on this show you know with the indianapolis colts and and washington so plenty uh, plenty of movement that really does impact what's going to shake down in april yeah and you know that seems like the smart way to go about it. You know, wait until all of this, all of the dust is settled to do your mock draft because I feel like the 12 seven rounders that I've done so far are basically worthless because of all that's <laughs> going on. So, far. so that might be the smart way to do it. Work smarter, not harder, right? But I mean, I don't know. Real quick, it's bugging me, man. Do you know why the, the hour changes? Like I've, I, I kind of get a sense, but like we, we lose an, or we gain an hour early in the year and then we lose an hour. It cancels out. It's one hour one hour plus one hour minus right like i do you know why it happens because i feel like i've i've been told that by somebody or i looked it up at one point but i didn't care enough to remember it like do you know why it happens <laughs> something to do with farmers right is it something, yeah, something i don't know if totally it is that. i don't know if it is in the states but i think in this country it's to give the farmers more daylight or less daylight or something to do with the kids walking to and from school in the dark i don't know i just I, all i know is it really discombobulates me to to use your word I know it's a very good word to describe that. <laughs> it's a very good. I I'm discombobulated right now. I I do like gaining the hour earlier in the year. You know that feels good. You know you got a little bit more time. But when you have to lose an hour, like I'm I'm still all turned around by that stuff, man. It's it's insane. So I, it, it t- but eventually you recover, and then summer comes, and you have sunlight all the time, and everyone's happy, right? So that's just the way it is. Right now we are in the heart of March. All right, it's free agency. And there's already been a lot of action today. Uh, So we're just going to get into it. We're going to start with some of the highlights, some of the teams that made some bigger moves that may impact their draft outlook a little bit more. And Ali, what we're going to do is going to Oliver, we're going to be studious today. What we're going to do is we're going to go down the draft order. Uh, We're just going to talk about some of these. So I I feel like we have to start with Jacksonville because and I feel like I'm in an episode of Groundhog Day with with Bill Murray because they've done this every single year. Okay, they spend a ton of money on a bunch of free agents and then they go like five and 12 or something. But, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be different for the, for the Jaguars this year. Obviously I don't have a ton of confidence in Trent Balky. I know there was a lot of fear uh, regarding him, you know, with the fan base trying to get him to leave. He's still there. Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, so the hope is that he can kind of resurrect Trevor Lawrence and he has done good work with that in the past. So, you know, I, I think there's reason to be cautiously optimistic if you're Jacksonville, but also, you know, if we're looking at it from the outside, we know we've seen this story before from Jacksonville. So we do have to be careful as well. But they've made a ton of moves today. I know uh, Christian Kirk got signed to a massive deal worth, worth up to $21 million a year. Uh, I know they got uh, Brandon Sheriff on the offensive line. Uh, I know they got some other guys too, like Fuller, Runzo Fatukasi, who's a great run defender from the Jets. Uh, they got uh, that one uh, linebacker from the uh, Foye Olukun, I think, from the uh, Oladokun from the Falcons, who's a pretty solid player, pretty underrated. Uh, and some other moves that they made, too. They just signed Evan Ingram to a one-year deal. You know, bottom line, the Jaguars are making moves. They they have money. They're using it. Do you think – I know 
uh, the, the big talk is the number one overall pick. What are they going to do there? And I know a lot of people saw the sheriff signing and were like, all right, this means Aiden Hutchinson, right? They're addressing offensive line now. And they did tag Cam, Cam Robinson earlier. But do you did this really move the needle for you in terms of what they do at number one overall? Because I, I feel like we've all been trending towards Evan Neal or maybe Akemi Aquano. I think, you know, Evan Neal probably the likelier pick just because they have a left tackle and Cam Robinson for the time being put Evan Neal right tackle. Uh, but now that we've seen Brandon Sheriff taking on, some people were like, yeah, they're addressing offensive lines so they can take Aiden Hutchinson number one. Did it have the same effect for you, or do you still think it's kind of up for grabs offensive line still in play? Yeah, I don't I don't buy that Brandon Scherf um signing changes the moves the needle in terms of draft tactic. Um it's certainly a great signing for the Jags. I think that's the the key takeaway from the early free agency moves from the Jacksonville Jaguars is they've made some great signings. They've made some questionable ones. You mentioned Christian Kirk there, who hasn't really been productive in the league and is getting twenty one up to twenty one million dollars per year. Which it, when you've got a wide receiver class that we we've got coming up is a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, you 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 can understand splashing the cash on a proven commodity, which is what they've done with Brandon Scherf. Brandon Scherf is a proven, phenomenal guard in the National Football League. Christian Kirk, I don't think is is a game changing wide receiver for the money that he's got. When you look at the the class that we're about to to get, and and that could impact how Jacksonville moves later on in the draft because they are they have been a um, for me they've been a, a potential day two um wide receiver market team whether that changes that somewhat for them um in april is, is yet to be seen but i don't think brandon Schiff moves the needle changes the 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 tactic at first overall pick if um your original um tactic for the jaguars if, if they were honestly looking at offensive tackle at pick number one i don't think brandon Schiff's um signing really changes that so what I think you and you touched on it. I think that the Cam right, uh, Cam Robinson tag, if anything, is a is a good indicator of of a potential strategy for the the Jaguars in terms of have have Cam Robinson play at left tackle for one year while you develop Evan Neal at right tackle. And this isn't simply a case of switch kid to the other side and hope it works. You know, Evan Neal has is a proven right tackle at the college level. He's just played one year at left tackle for Alabama. He is a proven right tackle as well. So I think that would be a, a smart strategy. I know a lot of people believe that the Cam Robinson tag is a is a tag and trade situation. And if that's the case, then again, you're looking at offensive tackle as your first overall pick, unless you're really sold on what Walker Little is, which for me, I wasn't sold during the draft process. I'm not sold now as the Walker Little being a, a franchise left tackle for for anyone, let alone the Jacksonville Jaguars, needing to protect Trevor Lawrence. So I think I think the, the Brandon Schiff signing is great. It's a phenomenal start to making sure that Trevor Lawrence is protected because we you know we watched the kid running for his life at times last year behind that porous Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line. Um, but I don't think his signing moves the needle in terms of a tactic. I think you still go out there, you take Evan Neal. Or Ike McCorney. I think in this situation, if if Cam Robinson is staying around for another year, it kind of makes sense for that selection to be Evan Neal because he is a natural right tackle. Whereas Ike McCorney has been a, a left guard and a left tackle. He's not played that right hand side of the offensive line for NC State. Um so I think all all signs really point to Evan Neal as being the first overall pick based on the the moves, these early moves in free agency, rather than this this groundswell of opinion that the Jaguars are now in on all in on Aiden Hutchinson as the first overall pick. Yeah, I I do think they have flexibility. I think Walker Little was an interesting name to bring up because I wasn't quite as high on him coming in. You know, I know we were both a little lower on him, but he did have some good reps in his rookie season. You know, he performed admirably when he was filling in for Cam Robinson on the left side. You know, not a perfect player by any means, but potentially enough to say. As a rookie, we got this from him. So what can we get next year with some added development, right? So, you know, if you're the Jaguars, maybe you're thinking, like you said, tag and trade Cam Robinson, get him out of there, get the asset for him, then slide walk a little into that spot, you know, and then maybe draft Evan Neal to play right tackle. Jawan Taylor goes to the benches like a swing tackle or something. I know he hasn't quite panned out for them. So, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces in this equation. 
Uh, for the Jaguars, it probably really just comes down to who's higher on your board, right? Because I, I do know on the edge, you're not quite in the situation you want to be either. Obviously, Josh Allen is a solid player, but again, consistency has been an issue from all those guys. It seems like Chase on, especially, you know, he hasn't quite panned out yet. So, you know, both protecting your quarterback and rushing the other quarterback, there are issues that the Jaguars need to address. I think it's just a matter of which player is higher on your board. And then you kind of address the rest later on. And that's the next thing to talk about. You know, I think wide receiver is a nice position to pivot to now. You know, getting Christian Kirk, you mentioned it. You know, as much as he's getting paid, and I think the general consensus is that while he is a solid player, it was a pretty decent sized overpay. You know, I know Mike K wrote a great piece on it for PFN, but you know, the, the gist is, you know, you want to be cost effective. Obviously, sometimes you're going to have to overpay a little bit. That's just how the market works, right? When there's when there's demand, it drives the price up. It's simple supply and demand, simple economics. But you know, at the same time, you got to be careful about what you overpay for. You know, if you're overpaying for, a, you know, a bona fide X receiver, like top five guy, top 10 on the market, like, yeah, sometimes that's going to be worth it. I don't know if Christian Kirk is the type of guy you overpay for. So I think, you know, we were talking about it in the Slack chat. I don't think this precludes Jacksonville from taking a wide receiver on day two. You know, I, you said it. I think day two is the perfect range to get that type of player because it's a very deep wide receiver group with a ton of talent that's set to, you know, be available in that range. Uh, and they do have a few picks in that range, too, you know, and I think especially if you're looking for that X receiver to, to provide you the size on the boundary that you need. You know, we know that Trevor Lawrence loved having Justin Ross in his corner in college. You know, we, T Higgins as well. You know, he needs that size threat to give him some comfort and also provide some, you know, variety in that receiving core. You need contrasting skill sets to play off of one another. And I do think that in that range, you could get some guys. I think there's a lot of potential matches there. You know, maybe George Pickens, if he's still there at the top of round two, Alec Pierce, uh, Christian Watson, potentially. He's got to work on his catching, you know, but again, he's got the size. He's got the athleticism. It's all there. You know, are you thinking, and I know looking at the Jags receiving core uh, outside of Christian Kirk, who, you know, I don't think he's a number one guy, you know, more of an ancillary threat in the slot. He can be very good there, but you need options outside to free up guys like Kirk. I do think, you know, Marvin Jones, Nothing special at this point. Turned 32 a couple of days ago. You know, he's probably trending down at this point. Uh, solid rotational guy. You know, he can provide you good value, but not quite. He's not at his peak anymore. And then LaVisca Chanel, who, you know, he might be on the way out with these moves coming in. So who are you looking at? I mean, first off, I think we agree, uh, but I just want to get confirmation. Wide receiver, probably high on the board for, for you still on day two. And who are you looking at in that range for the Jaguars? Yeah, I think you, you got better in mind as well that, there's still some uncertainty about what happens with DJ Chark because um, he's he's a free agent. He's looking more and more likely like he will, you know, he will depart from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So bringing in Christian Kirk and, and letting and seeing DJ Chark walk out the door, you, you are losing that, that that receiver archetype that you mentioned there. You know, with some of these guys, with you, you George Pickens, you reference Justin Ross as um, um, Trevor Lawrence had at Clemson. I think a guy like David Bell is rapidly becoming a potential steal for a team um, at the NFL level, and he would he would fit that outside wide receiver role that the Jaguars are likely to need um, now that they've filled that slot need. Let's not forget Evan Engram was tabbed as being a potential um, switch from tight end in, uh, to, to, to play slot this year, um, wherever he lands which he's landed at Jacksonville now. Doug Pearson's scheme, you would think maybe they'll use two tight ends and Evan Ingram will fill that role. Um, only use 20% out of the uh, as an inline tight end this year for the New York Giants. So it's interesting to see what the, the, the Jaguars do with Evan Ingram. But I think a guy like David Bell gives you that physicality on the boundary um, with the ability to add some after the catch. He's, his stock is rapidly deteriorating because of his poor combine performance. But... As I said on this show, I think um, his combine performance wasn't um, isn't what he brings to the table as a wide receiver prospect. He isn't a straight line speed threat. He never has been. That's not David Bell's game. That's not how he's won at Purdue. He wins with his physicality. He wins with his ability to create in the open field with agility rather than straight line speed. So I could see like a, a guy like David Bell maybe ending up in Jacksonville with a real solid steal, maybe even in the top of the third round, you know, we're talking about day two, 
prospects doesn't necessarily mean that the Jags strike in the second round. They could pick up um, David Bell at the top of the third round, for example. Um, so this, like we said, there's plenty of options. Your guy Eric has a karma. Yeah, um, I was gonna bring him up. I was gonna I had that queued up. I had to. I had to because I forgot to. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of size guys out there, and that's just what they need. And not just size either, but also, you know, do you have the instincts to convert at the catch point? Like some guys aren't quite as polished in that area. I think we can say Christian Watson is one of those guys where he flashed it at the senior bowl. But, you know, I think some guys like David Bell, like Azukanwa, are a little better at attacking the football in the air right now and, you know, having authority at the catch point. So that's one thing to look at for Jacksonville is having guys who can convert the catch point, not just with the size, but with the natural ability, with the instincts. That's going to be key, uh, getting that variety in that receiving core. But, you know, I agree with you. There's a lot of options there. Moving across the AFC South, I know the Houston Texans haven't made any like big moves right now. We know the Deshaun Watson trade is looming. That's an interesting one. I think the Panthers and the Saints. And watch, right when we download this podcast, something's going to happen. So this is going to become outdated. So we won't say a ton on that. Typical. We'll just it would well, be yeah, typical. typical right exactly it's the jinx man it always happens that way so we're not going to say anything on that uh, i think what we will go over though and it's a small thing but again there's a conversation to be had about what the texans have what the texans pick at number three overall uh they just cut marcus cannon they traded for from the patriots uh was you know he he got injured i think it was a back injury only played a few games now he's cut so they have a hole there you know, Titus Howard was the tackle they drafted in round one a couple of years ago. He might move inside. Uh, are you looking at Evan Neal for the Texans, especially because they got Laramie Tunsil on the left side, too? This is another one where they could go tackle or they could go edge. But I do think, you know, especially if Aiden Hutchinson go, does go number one overall, I think you're looking at Evan Neal maybe falling to number three and falling to the Texans lap. It, that's probably the way you would go, correct? Yeah, I think the Texans are in a real difficult situation because they've got so many needs all over the all over the the roster, you know, offensively and defensively. There's there's so it's kind of whenever you do a mock draft for the Texans, it's like where where the hell do you even start? Because there's there's so many holes. Um, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson makes a, a hell of a lot of sense there. He's gone already, um, and Evan Neal's still available. That's that's a move that seems to make more sense with this early raft of free agency with the um, with the, the departure of Marcus Cannon. It does make a lot of sense. I look at the Texans as a, a landing spot for a lot of um, the top prospects. You know, Kyle is is a great spot for Kyle Hamilton. You know, they've got a couple of free agent safeties. Kyle Hamilton is the sort of player that comes in and um, builds almost a foundation from the back to the front in terms of rebuilding what the Houston Texans have been as a as a franchise in the in the, the heyday of you know JJ Watt leading from the front. They've they've been a, a solid defensive team. Um and I think you, you kind of look towards that now and you build maybe from the back up. So Kyle Hamilton, you look at potentially linebackers later on in the draft, you look at offensive line uh, defensive line, you know, edge players even interior defensive line for the Texans. There is just so many needs. Um, but if, you know, with Marcus Cannon gone, if Evan Neal is there, you've kind of got to put some solid foundations in place for whoever is your quarterback, which, you know, it seems like Davis Mills, they're going to run the Texans with Davis Mills this year. So you've got to kind of put him in a, in a great position to succeed if that's your plan. If your plan is to use this year to assess what Davis Mills is in terms of long-term potential. You've, can't, you've got to put him in the best position to succeed, right? Yeah, I agree, honestly. And I think that, you know, especially in what's perceived as a weaker quarterback class. Now, I, you know, I always prefer the term uncertain. Like, I do think there is talent to mold here. It's not like we're looking at five um, I don't know what what's that five Andy Daltons or whatever you know yeah I hate I hate to I hate to throw strays at Andy Dalton okay but you know the archetype of quarterback you're talking about with that like a guy who doesn't quite have the upside to be a you know a, a game changing starter it can be a solid can be a solid spot starter you know can have some decent years never going to take your team over the top you know I don't I, we're not dealing with a class quite that bad right but Davis Mills has the natural talent and he showed some growth last year you know he really did. You know, I think they brought back Pep, Pep Hamilton, who was big in his development. So, you know, I would, if I'm Houston, 
I would just, you know, get that tackle, get Evan Neal. I I have to assume if, if Jacksonville doesn't take him, he's gonna be there at three because the Lions are not taking a tackle. They have they have um they have Taylor Decker. I almost said Taylor Lawan, but they got Decker, they got Penny Sewell. So they're set there. So I do think Neal makes it to three if he's not there at one. And then if you're the Texans, he slots right into right tackle. He's played both sides. And then you can protect Davis Mills, obviously get him some more weapons. That's one of the things, you know, you were talking about the Texans, what it's like to mock for them. It is crazy, man. I, I know doing a seven rounder each each time, you know, each month for them. I'm just glad they have a first round pick this year. Last year, they, their first pick was in round three, and it was absolutely depressing because you get there and it's like, well, we can't make a difference. It's like, all the good guys are gone. What do we do? You know, and obviously I'm, I'm exaggerating. You, you can find good players in round three, but not having that early round capital, I think could, you know, set them back a little bit last year. So it's it's good that they have that top five pick. They can u- use it on a blue chip guy. And I do think when you have a guy like da- Davis Mills, who really showed legit promise last year, not quite where he needs to be yet, but get him that protection, get him some weapons, see what he can do, invest in him so that hopefully he succeeds. I think that's the way to go. I think that's been the way to go. If, you know, Hutchinson isn't there, you know, I would love Thibodeau as well. You know, I think the Texans can really improve that edge rushing core. Like you said, Kyle Hamilton, another option, although, you know, the league tends not to view safeties that highly for some reason. I think I hope it's starting to change because they are very important. But it does look like, you know, aligning with what you need for Davis Mills for your quarterback. If you want to get the most out of him and maybe uh, turn him into a franchise guy, get him that protection, make him comfortable. So. That's that's a conversation to have for the Houston Texans. But moving on to, I think the Jets was next on the docket because they made some interesting moves, um, getting uh, Lakin Tomlinson from the uh, San Francisco 49ers, getting another very good run-blocking guard alongside Elijah Vera Tucker. That's a fun one. And I do think the Jets have more money to make more moves as the week goes on. Uh, they re-signed Braxton Berrios as well. Uh, so, But he's like, you know, re- return specialist, solid ret- rotational receiver. But what I want to ask Ali is we were talking about this in the Slack chat and we seem to have differing opinions at the time. I want to know from you, it looks like the number 10 spot, you know, especially with the Jets still having money to work with and free agency. You know, it seems like that number 10 spot because they've got the fourth, fourth overall pick. They could get a top end guy there. You know, they could trade down with a, with a QB needy team. I would like to think, you know, you've got teams like, you know, maybe New Orleans, you know, maybe not Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh, and we'll get to that later, but they can probably stay where they are. But there are still a couple QB needy teams that could trade up if they'd like a guy enough. And the Jets at number 10 seems like a prime position for that. What are you thinking about that situation? You think the Jets stay there and get another blue chip guy? Or, you know, what's your choice there? And what are the options that you see? Yeah, and I agree that um, that 10 is the prime spot, is a prime spot, let's put it that way. Very much depends on what Carolina do over the next um, the next week or so. That will dictate what they do if they have the six overall pick. Because I think as you look at it now, number six at Carolina is the is the first team that you think that's a quarterback needy team. That's potentially where the first quarterback could go. So you look at six at Carolina, you look at nine at Seattle, because the Seattle Seahawks, you know, if, if you believe that Drew Locke is the future of the Seattle Seahawks, that's great. I, I really, you know, I would love to be bestowed with the sort of confidence that gives you that opinion that Drew Locke will be a starting caliber quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. I look at the Seattle Seahawks as probably the ultimate landing spot for Malik Willis. Um and then you look at the Jets at 10 because a team potentially, depending on what happens with the Washington Commanders, I got it right this time. I always I keep saying the Washington football team, but I managed to get Commanders in there first time. You didn't, Whereas, yeah, you didn't even have to double take or anything. Know, we got, straight, we got, straight in there. We're, we're starting to learn, guys. We're, we're starting <laughs> to learn slowly but surely. It's it's on the way, everyone. We are learning how to uh, say team names. That's that's fun. But yeah, the Washington Commanders, I mean, I, I, I yeah, that was, that was a good one. Yeah, so depending on what they 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 do now is on the back of the Carson Wentz trade. There, they're still potentially, uh, you know, could be in the market for a quarterback. So if you were a team that were wanting to get above the Saints, the Steelers, the Washington Commanders, then the Jets at ten is a great spot. It's a great logical trade spot for a team, and I that makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. But when I look at what the the Jets need. I worry that if they trade out of a top um, 
that that 10 spot i worry that they may actually miss the real talent the blue chip talent at the top of the draft um because i i look at the jets and i think they they definitely need cornerback they definitely need edge that was demonstrated quite clearly last off season and into this this um through this season and into this process so i think they need cornerback i think they need edge Potentially, they may need a tackle as well. You know, Morgan Moses, um, I believe, is is scheduled to hit free agency. Um, so there is potential there that they they might need tackle help. Mekhi Becton, there's a lot of talk about his um, potential future. Um, so that so you you look at those positions and it feels like they're deep in this draft class, and you could pick up a guy, maybe the start of day two that that meets your needs, but. I think we're going to be surprised at how quickly certainly the premier edge rushers go off the the, the board. Um, we've seen the ascension in on social media of people's opinions about Trayvon Walker and Jermaine Johnson, who have been kind of teetering around that back end of the first round conversation, but have really catapulted up into into top ten conversations. So the potential there is that you you drop so far down that you miss out on one of those guys that could be a real difference maker, which I think the Jets need. I think they need a real difference maker, especially on that defensive line, especially in the secondary. Marcus May is a free agent. They're going to need to address the safety position as well, I think. Um, so there's there's lots um, there's lots that the Jets need. And I think staying put at 10 gives them an opportunity to take premier talent at those positions of need. However, of course, you trade, you're going to get a decent return. So you put yourself in a position to be able to um, to, to make more selections in April. Um, and the, the Jets have already got a number of, you know, early round selections as well. So that, that kind of helps to, to boost that potential to, to, to be able to get value on a, on a, a starter, a day one starter in the NFL draft. Um, I just, I think this, there's, there's definitely two sides to it. There's definitely potential to miss out on the premier prospects at positions of need, which would concern me most. But I can certainly see that the Jets are going to be active, I think, on the NFL draft. Yeah, and I was looking as as we were talking about it, and I I do, you know, I do have to admit, you know, it looks like a good spot to trade up for a QB. But I'm not so sure we're going to have a ton of QB needy teams after the Jets when the draft rolls around. Because I'm looking at this right now. You know, you got the Panthers at number six. I My personal opinion is that they miss out on the Watson sweepstakes. It looks like it's the Panthers and the Saints. I would much rather prefer to go to New Orleans for a number of reasons. One being, it's a better team. All right. But, you know, I do think, you know, if the Panthers are still in need of a QB, they could pick the top overall guy. That's obviously an option. Uh, I do think the Seahawks, number nine, like you said, a prime spot for Malik Willis. If he's still on the board, there's other guys that could consider that could garner interest as well. So right there, you've got two QB needy teams ahead of the Jets. So that's, you know, those aren't trade up opportunities right there. You know, you do have the Washington Commanders right after them. My opinion on that, and I wrote a piece on it, is that, you know, if you're the Commanders, you traded two third round picks. Uh, one of which could turn into a second rounder if he plays more than 70% of the snaps next year. You traded all that for a guy who, if you draft the QB round one, you're basically admitting that he's a one-year bridge, You know that you're going to use that out in 2023. And if that's the case, you could have used Taylor Heineke for that, for free, without giving up any draft assets. So I, I do think, at the end of the day, I think they should. I think Washington should. I thought they should have drafted a quarterback without trading for Carson Wentz, but now they traded for Carson Wentz. They've messed it all up. You know, I do, and I love to be optimistic that he works out. I'm just, I'm not super optimistic there, but I do think now that you have him, you got to get supporting talent there. So I, I don't, I'm not confident the Washington Commanders will pick a QB. I think it's more likely that they get surrounding talent. Um, the Browns, there's been talks that maybe they're looking to trade Baker Mayfield potentially, or at least entertaining calls for that. So if they trade away Baker Mayfield, then they could be in prime position to trade up a few spots to number 10, obviously wouldn't cost a ton for them. And the Jets could still get a prime talent. So that might be an optimal solution. If that happens again, Mayfield as of now is still Brown. And right now it's just been rumors. So nothing too concrete there. Uh, but you got the Eagles, maybe. I know they were meeting with some quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, the future is uncertain. They have the capital to move up. The Jets, again, would still be in range to maybe get a defensive talent who falls. Uh, but again, I mean, and then you get to the Saints. If they get Deshaun Watson, they're out of there, right? So it's one of those things where, but of course, 
you know, Houston will have that 18th pick probably. So you, you never know. Maybe if Davis Mills, if they want competition for him, you never know what teams are thinking, right? So there's always a little wild card that pops in there. But as I'm looking at this, and I do think, you know, the Steelers as well are right there. And we can talk about that in a minute. We can pivot to that and then go to the Chargers later. But I do think the the number of quarterback needy teams is dwindling right that right now behind the Jets. There's still a lot of QB movement left to go. I know the Colts were maybe getting tied to Jimmy Garoppolo. They have the capital to make a trade up if they want to after trading Carson Wentz, but they might be trying to get another veteran so they can compete right away. Obviously, it's just a lot of moving parts, man. And it's one of those things, you know, everyone likes to say, ideally, the Jets would trade down, get more capital, but it takes two to tango. So we'll see what happens there. I think it's a good a good opportunity to pivot to the Steelers, who made a pretty surprising signing today. Uh, it was a two year deal for Mitchell Trubisky, <laughs> and I was, you know, we were saying that on a podcast. I think it was a couple weeks ago. I was like, I did not expect to hear Trubisky's name coming up again, uh, because I'll be honest, like I, you know, and again, I wasn't really in draft evaluation back when he came out, but uh, you know, when he was with the Bears, was never blown away by him. It seemed like he was, you know, at best an above average starter, but he never quite took that leap. You know, there's always something holding him back and he never got past that hill. And then he regressed a little bit in 2020, 2021. He wasn't even a full time starter. You know, he got benched for a couple of games and then now he was a backup for the Bills this past year. You know, I, me personally, I know that, you know, obviously seeing a former starter kind of suiting up with the pay, with the uh, Steelers, it, it definitely looks like he'll get an opportunity. And at number 20, you know, I, I think the Steelers were thinking we're not in prime position to get our guy you know, without, without obstruction, right? So get a guy who's a placeholder. Me personally, Ali, and I want to get your take on this Trubisky signing, but my initial reaction was that it doesn't preclude them from taking a quarterback because, again, Trubisky hasn't really proven, proven himself to be more, much more than a marginal starter at that, you know, right? So I think for me personally, what I saw it as is Trubisky can be a placeholder, a uh, bridge guy, and, you know, you you don't have to take a quarterback at number 20, but the thing that this, this does for you is now you, you're you not forced to trade up. You're not worked into a corner where you have to get a quarterback there. You know, if one falls that you really like, take him, let him sit behind Trubisky. If they're off the board there, just take the best overall player at a position of need. I, I think, it, you know, at the very least, the, the most important thing here is that it gives you flexibility. You know, that that's my take. What, what was your initial reaction to Trubisky? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not surprising, right? Okay, it's not surprising to see Mitch Trubisky land somewhere in free agency because this has kind of been the talk for the past two, three, four weeks. Mitchell Trubisky, Marcus Mariota, these quarterback names from the past is probably pushing it. You know, they're only recent, you know, a couple of years from, from being NFL starters, but rather than focusing on some of the quarterbacks in this class, those names have come up, the Trubisky's, the Mariotas. So it's not a surprise to see him land somewhere um, first half. I don't I don't know if it changes the, whatever the Steelers' um, initial draft tactic is for the first round, personally. I know in a couple of mock drafts that I've done, I've had them as a potential landing spot for a quarterback if a quarterback has, has fell to them. However, I, I can also see them being in the market for some of the premier offensive line talent because I think that you need to make the changes there before you put any future long-term starter under centre in Pittsburgh. You need to make sure that offensive line is right and there's the opportunity to do that in this draft. Um, so I could still see the, the, the I could see the Steelers taking offensive line in round one, um, and riding Trubisky out even to 2023. What, as you said, it does give them now is the option to ride him for a year, even if they do take a guy in this class, and you're not forced into starting a Malik Willis or a Desmond Ridder or a Kenny Pickett or who, whoever the Steelers have got their eye on and. They've been talked about as a potential landing spot for Matt Corral, and they certainly have seemed enamoured with Malik Willis. So it would give them the opportunity to take a guy like that and sit him for a year and not force him into the spotlight and not force him into the starting lineup, um, putting that pressure of being straight into Big Ben's shoes. Because I think that is a, the, the key thing here. 
unlike some of the other quarterback situations potentially in the league, is whoever goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers as a rookie and has to start immediately is always going to earn that comparison to Big Ben. He's always going to be the kid who stepped into Big Ben's shoes and couldn't fill him. Now, regardless of what you think Roethlisberger's standard has been over the past year or two years, that's still big shoes to fill. That's still a big personality, a big presence in that locker room to replace and to fill, and that's quite a big pressured situation. So Mitchell Trubisky, you, you kind of feel like that pressure won't be so heavy on him, whether it's for a year or not. Um, and then let's not forget, they've got Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. So there's three quarterbacks fighting it out and Josh Dobbs as well, potentially still knocking around them. Um, I think it makes for an interesting situation come April. I don't think it necessarily changes the Steelers' approach to this 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, I would I would hope that Trubisky beats out Haskins and Rudolph. I guess we'll see. But, you know, it you'd is. Hope, it you'd is, hope so. but You'd hope so. Yeah. It's it's a hairy situation for sure, but you you made you made a great point, you know, about the pressure that it comes with being a quarterback in Pittsburgh. I mean, look at you know not just Roethlisberger being a borderline Hall of Famer, right, but also Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season as long as he's been there. So this is a big change for Pittsburgh, you know, a big transition that we really haven't seen before, and there could be some uncertainty, some instability, you know, that goes off of that. So getting a guy like Trubisky in there, you know, it's interesting. To me personally, and I do think, you know, tying back to what we were talking about with the lack of trade up options, right? You know, like after the top 10, you got the Panthers, you've got the Seahawks, but there aren't a ton of QB needy teams. And that scarcity of, of, of demand could drive the price down and drive the, you know, the could bring those quarterbacks down the board. Like you could be looking at a couple guys that you like at, at 20 overall, if that's how it shakes out. You know, I do think that, you know, at least two go before then. But if you're the Steelers, you could be looking at, you know, having some flexibility there just because the the amount of QB needy teams right now, it's starting to dwindle and it could dwindle more. You know, we haven't even gotten close to the end of this process. Uh, it's really interesting to me. And I do think, you know, I saw a tweet from my guy, Nick Farabaugh. Uh, he was talking about Pittsburgh sports and stuff like that. You know, he said, you know, ideally you get Mitch Trubisky and Malik Willis because, like you said, they're enamored with Willis. But. If I had to pick the quarterbacks that would go before 20, I think Willis is definitely one of them. You know, I think with the upside, with how he's won guys over with his character. And here's the thing. I think that now the Steelers have Trubisky, they're not trading up from 20. You know, if they didn't have Trubisky, maybe maybe they would be more inclined to make that move for their guy. But Trubisky, again, gives you flexibility. Does he also maybe uh, cause you to run the risk of being too conservative and, you know, foregoing that option? Maybe. But I, I do think I do like the flexibility. Like we said, you know, if there's like a guy like Desmond Ritter at 20 and you want to take him, let him sit for a little bit. I feel like that's a really ideal situation because Ritter does have the upside. Uh, but again, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Like you said, they have quarterbacks there, so they could forego it all together. I know they just uh, re-signed. Chikuma Okora for uh, the right tackle to a pretty substantial deal. I think it was three years, 29 and a half million, uh, a little bit pricier than I would have done for him. But, you know, he's a guy who can at least be a solid stopgap for the time being, maybe get a young right tackle in the draft who can maybe develop and, and kind of take the reins down the road. Um, the interior line needs to get fixed, needs to get worked on. I know Kendrick Green wasn't quite as, you know, wasn't up to par in his rookie year. Maybe move him to guard, get a center. You know, just one of those things. You're going to have to do some mixing and matching. You're going to have to reinforce that unit because if you're going to bank on Trubisky, you need to give him support. You know, it's the same with a rookie. If you're going to bank on a rookie, you got to give him support. So there's still unanswered questions for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This signing at least gives them flexibility. But QB very much still on the table. It's just a matter of what you're what you're aiming to do. So I feel like that's the the main takeaway there. Let's circle back to the Chargers. I know we've got about ten minutes left. Uh, so the Chargers obviously signed J.C. Jackson, cornerback from New England, and this was a fun signing, man. I and they we, we just saw them trade for Khalil Mack too. So it's very clear that uh, Brandon Staley's defense they're trying to pack it with as much talent as they can and just seeing what happens. And I, for one, am really happy to sit along for the ride, got my popcorn ready, see what happens. But, you know, J.C. Jackson getting up there. I know corner was consistently one of the top needs for the Chargers. Now they have J.C. Jackson. They got Asante Samuel Jr. coming back uh, after a pretty decent rookie season. What are you looking at for the Chargers in round one? I know we were talking about it before the pod, maybe trading up for a guy like Jordan Davis, you know, a guy who could complete that defense. 
what are you looking at you know now that jc jackson's there obviously it's just one position so it doesn't completely change the outlook but maybe when you have more pieces in place it, it can free you up to be a little more aggressive in completing the puzzle uh what are you thinking there right now let's just take a second let's take a moment to appreciate how the charges are playing madden with free agency yeah. Yeah, because this this is an incredible way to go about building a roster. JC Jackson, they've got Derwin James, obviously at safety. Asante Samuel Jr. I really like Nazir Adderley. You look at that secondary: Jackson, Adderley, James, Samuel. That's you know who's throwing on yeah. that. If I you remember know, right, Adderley kind of took a step up this past year, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So who's who's throwing on that? And and you're going to need it, obviously, in the AFC West this coming season with Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and everyone's favorite Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr. But, you know, that's a that's a, that's a a Madden builder dream secondary. And then Jerry Bosa, Khalil Mack is a builder Madden pass rush duo. Insane. So that's that defense, even before you start thinking about adding guys in the draft, that defense is incredible. You know, I really like Drew, Drew Tranquil, a linebacker as well. I know Kenneth Murray hasn't quite lived up to our first round potential either. So maybe they, they look to linebacker at some point in the sort of day two range. I, I look at two options for the for the Chargers now in round one, and that is, as you mentioned before, do they make a move, an aggressive move, to go and get Jordan Davis and basically say to any opposition that they face, try and run on us, try and throw on us, good luck doing either because you've got Jordan Davis there eating up double and triple teams and allowing Joey Bowser and Khalil Mack to go to work. Try running down the throat of Jordan Davis. Good luck with that one. Um, so I think that would be a, an astonishing move for the Chargers to be able to make. But they, what you're not going to escape is they need to also make some um, adjustments, some upgrades, some amendments on the offensive line. And that's where I look at a guy like Zion Johnson out of Boston College, my guy Zion, who is probably aced the pre-draft process as well as anybody else. You know, went to the senior bowl, showed out in terms of what he does on the field, showcased the work ethic that he puts in as well. We saw him out there in the rain taking snaps on his own and working on snapping the ball from the center spot. That kid is um, so versatile in terms of where he can play. So center, left guard, left tackle. I thought he showed great improvements this year when he when he was asked to come in and play left tackle against Virginia Tech because he 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 looked. Sometimes he looked out of his depth at left tackle last season for Boston College in 2020. But the 2021 season when he was asked to play there, he looked good. He looked solid in pass protection. He's an incredible guard prospect in his own right. Schematically versatile, has the experience in multiple run see, run schemes and pass protection schemes. And I don't see that 17th overall is actually a reach for a guy like Zion Johnson, who is technically well put together, is physically well put together, is characteristically well put together, and is versatile both schematically and positionally. Yeah, and I, you know, you're talking about Zion Johnson too. I got to give you credit. You were on him from the very beginning. And I know, uh, you know, part of it might just be the Boston College bias, right? But <laughs> you, you were on him very, very early. And I want to ask you because you were the one who did the scouting report, right? You were watching him very early. Last year, there was some like, I remember like third round buzz, like second round buzz maybe, but he ended up coming back, right? And then what changed this year? What really helped him elevate his game to the point where he's being talked about as a mid-round pick? You know, you talk about the teams like, the Steelers even, you know, we were just talking about them. Zion Johnson is another guy they could go for if he's still there. What changed and what made him this caliber player? And for me, I think um, we touched on it then. Um, in terms of his pass protection ability, his technical ability in that regard, because this is a kid who came into Boston College from a run-only scheme um, at, um, at Davidson University. So he's only, you know, only played in triple option offense before coming into Boston College. So that first season, he's re- he, he was really having to get to the grips with the nitty-gritty of pass protection. Um, and this year, he's really developed in that regard in terms of 
um, hand timing and placement. Um, I think it's been it's been particularly impressive. Um, being able to keep his balance as a pass protector, especially when he, like we mentioned the game against Virginia Tech, when he moved out to left tackle. In his 2020 tape, he could quite often be um, unbalanced and we're getting his weight over his toes. That seemed to not be eradicated. Eradicated, you can't really use on such a small sample size. Um, but he was definitely um, dramatically improved in that regard. Um, when when asked to, to to go out there to kick out there to left tackle, um, against some you know productive pass rushers, Amari Barno, we've just seen you know set the combine alight. You know a lighter pass rusher, but very speedy. Um, he he was able to keep him under check. Um, so I, I do think that the improvements there in, in terms of his pass protection has really helped elevate his stock. And I think the exposure, the exposure at the senior bowl um, was a big thing for Zion Johnson because I think even with his performances this year for Boston College, I don't think still he was a guy that a lot of people talked about. But then he came into the senior bowl and you know he got people got to see him up close and personal, got to see how he interacted how he went through drills the kind of person that he is as well as the kind of player that he is um and i just think that's that's helped catapult his stock yeah that's that's cool to hear man i always love you know how we have a certain impression of a player a season before and then they kind of blow it away you know i'm really excited because before the season we were talking about you know kenyon green being a top 10 guy and zion johnson not even in the conversation and now Zion Johnson is more often mocked ahead of Kenyon Green. And that's one that I got to revisit when I finalize. But I'm, I may end up having Johnson over Green, honestly, because he's just been, you know, he's been lights out, to be honest with you. Like, it's just how it is. And I remember being very impressed with his tape. One thing I love in my interior linemen is if they're like, you know, they got that natural leverage, which, which Zion Johnson does. He's, I think he's a little over 6'2", but then he's got 34-inch arms, too, so. You have that natural leverage you can get under defensive linemen, but you got the arms so you can surge into their torso, get to contact first. I love that. That's a great combo to have. And he uses it very well, like you said, athletic, uh, very smooth in his pass sets. And he's a physical guy, too. He finishes the reps. So I love that about him. I think if you're the Chargers, getting that on the interior next to Rashawn Slater, that could really take your, your blocking unit to the next level. It already improved, but it can be even better. And I do think, you know, if I'm thinking, if I'm the Chargers, Definitely defer to the trenches on either side uh, in that with that round one pick. Now, I do think if, if Jordan Davis is there and I would even consider making a slight trade up to get him, if you can trade up to like 13 or 14, uh, that would be that would be cool. That would be good, you know, because I do think, you know, everyone talks about the impact that you would have. I, I want to try and verbalize it real quick because I know some people, you know, oh, it's a nose tackle, right? It's kind of outdated. And yeah, it's only for certain schemes, right? But I do think, you know, it, it kind of has a twofold effect. Jordan Davis himself providing an impact that knows, you know, being able to two gap guys and occupy blocks, generate one on one opportunities for not just your three techniques, which uh, they do need to get some three techniques too. if maybe, you know, I would even consider Devontae Wyatt. Maybe I would prefer Jordan Davis just because I think you can get there's less nose tackles in the draft. You can get a guy like Jordan Davis and then maybe like Logan Hall or Matthew Butler later on. But you know, there's you need a three technique and a nose if you're if you're the Chargers. But Jordan Davis being there at that nose, he's such a such an imposing player. You know, so good at occupying blocks where you can free up guys like the three techs, uh, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack for one on one opportunities, and not just that, but you hear a lot about um, teams playing more cover too. And obviously, when you got Derwin James and Nasir Adderley, you're gonna want to play more cover too, right? And I do think you know having one defensive tackle on that interior as opposed to two. Can really help you out you know can you know mix up you have more personnel on the back end it's just one of those things right so allows more flexibility to have one guy playing the role of two potentially so uh that that's that's my understanding of how it impacts just not not just him but you know the the flexibility the freedom you know that that personnel provides and i do think that jordan davis uh is a great option there but if you want to go offense, get Zion Johnson and maybe get Travis Jones around too. I mean, again, there's options if you're the Chargers. And I feel like that's the most exciting thing after signing JC Jackson, you know, what they've got coming after trading for Khalil Mack. You have the framework to be a very good team. There's still some needs to fill, but you're well on your way. And I think that's the that's the that's the best part about free agency is you can see these teams being built in real time. You know, the pieces are getting put together. And the draft is kind of the the final piece of the puzzle. You're you're really putting that cap on, and, and the teams that do it right can really benefit from that. So it, it's a fun time. 
But Ali, we're almost out of time. Uh, so I want to, you know, just your thoughts on, I know we're kind of, we're just scratching the surface of what's happening in free agency. Today was the first day and there were some big signings, but I, I do feel like a lot of the big signings are still left on the table right now. So we're, we're going to have to watch and, you know, this will probably be released sometime on Tuesday. We'll see. But, you know, by ne- by the time this gets, gets released, there may be more moves that were made. We, we don't know. Unfortunately, free agency moves so fast. Uh, and, and sometimes after hours, moves get confirmed, right? So it's one of those things. But Ali, right now, where it stands right now, um, just other teams that kind of caught your eye with moves today or moves that you're maybe looking forward to in the future that could have draft implications, just closing thoughts, what's on your mind? Yeah, I think one of the biggest draft implication teams um, was actually the Cincinnati Bengals, who went out and got Alex Kappa, the former um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers guard, also added Ted Karras at centre. They're a, a team that obviously needed offensive line improvements, and they've made a fast start in getting those sort of just breaking news. They've um, lost Tyen CJ Uzama, who has been signed by the Jets to a three-year deal worth $24 million. Jets team that really people talked about needing a tight end. They're a, a prime location for a tight end. They've gone out and got one in free agency, so that may also impact what they do in the NFL draft. But yeah, the Bengals addressing that offensive line. Patriots now with the departure of JC Jackson, which kind of seemed imminent. They've lost Jackson and Stephon Gilmore um, over the course of the past 12 months. That, I think, for me, kind of solidifies the Patriots into the um, cornerback market in the draft with that first overall, uh, first round pick at 21st overall off the top of my head. Um, I see that being a, a cornerback landing spot in a, in a draft that has got plenty of cornerbacks to choose from. Yeah, I agree. And I think we were talking about it before the pod too. That was one spot where we were basically either mocking a wide receiver or a cornerback to that spot. So losing JC Jackson, you know, it definitely makes it more of a need, but it's something we were already kind of associating with that pick at the same time. So, you know, it changed a little bit. It didn't change a ton. That's one where, you know, if Derek Stingley were to fall, I would love for the Patriots to swipe him up there. Or Kyrie Elam, you know, I think could be a really good fit for what they look for in their players. So there's going to be options. It's a very strong corner class at the top. Uh, so that that's that's one thing to watch. But again, that it, it was kind of, we were kind of operating with the presumption that they were going to lose J.C. Jackson. So uh, it's one of those things. But that's the good thing about free agency. Sometimes you know what to expect a little bit, but it always catches you off guard in some way, somehow. So you got to be ready to think on the fly and change your perception, right? And that's what this is all about. So I love it, and and I'm really excited to kind of go through the next few days with you, Ali, as we kind of, you know, and obviously Thursday, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. I know. You know, it's the legal tampering period right now, but this is when all the moves get made. And in actuality, a lot of these teams have been talking with guys probably before even that. So it's one of those things where, you know, by Wednesday, a lot of the moving pieces are going to come together. We're going to have a lot more to talk about on Thursday. But we have run, uh, we always shoot for 50 minutes and we go over. So it's just, it's a lost cause at this point. I'm sorry, video editors, audio editors. I'm sorry for that. But that's just the way it is. We're long winded. We like, you know, we just, we can't stop talking, man. I don't know what it is, but I will stop talking now. I'm going to put the lid on here. Uh, we're 53 minutes out. So with that, with that, everyone, thank you for tuning into the PFN Premier NFL Draft Podcast. Talk about free agency. Uh, again, we'll have a ton to talk about on Thursday, kind of wrapping up the first wave. And eventually, soon enough, we'll get back to full-time draft uh, with a clearer picture in April, late March. We'll know exactly what we're walking into, and it's going to be a fun time. I can't wait for it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next time, peace out.